Well, Merry Christmas, Christ Chapel. Great to see all of you. Merry Christmas to those of you on the internet campus, certainly South Campus, West Campus, Hive, Converge. So glad that you are worshiping our Savior this Christmas season. I hope that you've gotten all of the gifts that you're supposed to get. Uh, if you haven't received them yet, you are experiencing pre-parcel anxiety. If you don't know what that is, please go back and listen to last week's sermon. Um, it won't give you any answers, but it at least explain what that term means. But uh, that's, a, that's a lot of pressure if you're waiting for those Christmas gifts now. And I don't know, I'm, I don't think I'm the only one. I think there's already enough pressure around Christmas to give great gifts. Does anybody else feel that? I mean, I, I feel this pressure to get a great gift for someone and I don't have the money to buy them that car with the big red bow. And so I'm already feel behind the eight ball. I couldn't even pay for the bow, I'm sure. But I already feel behind the eight ball, but I have this pressure that I want to be able to give those that I love gifts that are valuable to them, gifts that are are, are thoughtful, gifts that they'll, they'll treasure, that, that they'll use, that they'll enjoy. That, I, I take that as a lot, of, a lot of pressure. But I also feel pressure on the other side. Yes, I'm going through counseling. I feel pressure on the other side of wanting to receive people's gift in a way that honors them as the gift giver. I want to give them, or give them the, the response that I think that they deserve because they've put in thought and time and energy and, and money into giving me a gift. So, you know, I'm like, okay, you know, I should give a hug, you know, or, or I should just, just smile or give some kind of kind word or a note. And I've realized people receive even those kind of gestures differently. And I wanna do whatever honors them in the best way that they'll receive my response to their gift. But when I first married my wife, Jen, I learned that there's a whole different category of responding to gifts that I had never even thought of before. You see, when, when I went over to Jen's family for Christmas morning to open gifts, uh, this was unveiled to me because Jen is one of three girls. God bless my father-in-law. Okay, he's, he's an awesome man. But as they open gifts, as all the girls open gifts, they would open a gift and it, let's say it was a shirt. And the way that they responded, the way that they responded in their family was they spent time talking about that gift. And they're like, oh, this shirt is made of cotton and, and, and it, it is my favorite shade of blue. And it will go with those jeans that I have and the earrings. And they just talked and talked and talked about the, these gifts. And then they would get everybody riled up and one of the other sisters would go, you should just go try it on. And so then they would go and they would try it on and then they would come back and they would talk about it some more. And my father-in-law, I'm looking at him going, I don't know. And he just smiles and nods, you know, at me. And so when it came to my turn to open gifts, I'm like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And I open, you know, these wrenches that my father-in-law gives me. And I'm like, these would go great with jeans. You know, I'm like, I, I don't know what to say. It's hard, it was hard to know how to respond in an appropriate way to a very thoughtful gift that was given. 
And as we think about celebrating our Lord and Savior, the greatest gift that God has ever given to us, some people can feel some pressure of like, I I want to respond in the right way. And maybe you think that coming on Christmas Eve is a great way to respond, and you're right, that's a great way. But you go, Cody, is that that enough? Is God happy with that response? You know, I can't give him a hug. You know, if I write him a note, I don't know where to send it. I, I I I don't know those tangible ways. How am I supposed to respond to the greatest gift that was ever given to me? And that's what we're going to talk about today. So if you will, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, please. We're going to continue our mini-series, Heaven Sent, as we look at Jesus being sent to earth, the second person of the Trinity, God in the flesh, who was sent to us. The greatest gift you and I could ever receive, the greatest gift that was ever given in human history. And remember, this is part of our bigger kind of series as we march through the book of Matthew for 12 months. And we've got a couple of tools that are going to help you do that so that we can embody the heartbeat of Jesus so that we can reach those in our own backyard who do not know or walk with Jesus. And if you didn't hear about those tools, you can pick those up today. We've got a journal for you. We want you to read the scripture yourself. I want you to read the scripture yourself. I don't want you to just listen to sermons. I want you to understand what God is saying from his word yourself. And it's got, this is a side by side. It's got the scripture and then it's got journal. And we wanna help you journal so that you can begin to write down some thoughts that you have about the scriptures. And the way that we're gonna help you in journaling is you can text this code, uh, remember text VISION to 252 or 24253 and it'll send you a daily, it'll send you a text, not daily, but on Monday mornings at 8 a.m. And it'll have the scripture memory verse that comes from the section that we just studied and it'll have some journaling prompts for you so you can read the scripture and journal together. We want everybody to be doing this so that we can be embodying Jesus's heart together. So we started this series last week. And remember last week, we talked about Matthew chapter one, verse 18 to 25. And we talked about these tracking numbers that God gave his people. These tracking numbers that aren't numbers, but they're prophecies. Prophecies that were given hundreds of years prior to Jesus' birth to confirm that he was on his way and then to confirm that he had arrived. And last week was uh, Isaiah seven fourteen. Uh, he will be Emmanuel, God with us. And we're going to see the second tracking number that confirms where the package was delivered. And that's what we're going to look at today. But we're going to look at specifically Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, because I want you to see how we respond when we understand that that package has arrived. So just follow along with me, verses 1 to 12. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, of Judah, there were two Bethlehems in that region. That's why he's specific to the one in Judea. In the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. And when Herod, this is Herod the Great, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. 
and all of Jerusalem with him. And he assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet Micah, and you, O Bethlehem, in the day of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Verse 7. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, well, bring the word back to me that I may come and worship him too. And after listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another Way. And may God bless the reading of his word and may our hearts be open to hear from him. I, I love reading the, the scripture as a whole just so that you get a context to it. And I also think God does something when we read his word out loud. I love doing that. But one of the reasons why I wanted to read this to you in context was because I wanted you to get the bookends. The bookends of this section or pericope are worship. That's the whole point. The whole point of this section is that Jesus came to be worshiped. And these wise men or magi, that's what they set out to do in verses one and two. They set out to worship and then at the end, what are they doing? Gosh, you guys are sleepy. At the end, what are they doing? Worshiping, exactly. They're worshiping. So that is the flow of the passage. And I think there are some great correspondence, great correlations that we can make as to how we are called to worship, to respond, because that's really what worship is. Worship is a response when God is revealed. That's what, how do we respond when God reveals himself to us? That is worship. And so what I want to do is I want to take what they did in worshiping the Savior and then apply it to us as we worship and get very close to that day that we celebrate our Savior's birth. And so let's look at this passage. We're going to break it down. We'll begin in verses 1 and 2 where I want you to see that the Magi, that is the wise men, and I'll explain here in a second, align their lives to worship the King of the Jews. The Magi aligned their lives to worship the king of the Jews. Now, the reason why I use this term Magi is because that's really the technical term here that we've all made very common to talk about wise men, the, the wise men. Now, I know the songs that we sing say that there were three. We don't know that there were three. The text never says that there are three. We say that there are three because there are three gifts given at the end, but we don't know. Okay, so just... We'll get to more of the other stuff later. But there were wise men. There were these magi who had come from the east. Now, we don't even exactly know where they were coming from the east. But if you know of the eastern region, and this this will make sense to you, if you know of the eastern region, you can see Israel down over there in the the left-hand corner, the, the dots, which we'll zoom in on later, 
but to the east is Babylonia. Those are the Babylonians. That, that's where they lived. And these wise men or these magi are coming from the east. And they're coming from the east because of two things, I think. Remember, go back to who was in Babylon. Who was exiled to Babylonia? Do you remember this? Daniel. Daniel was exiled to, ba- to Babylonia. And Daniel is there, and he, remember, interprets dreams as one of the only holy men that are there that can ascertain the king's dreams. Do you remember this? Go back, go back and read Daniel later on. But Daniel is an Israelite. Daniel is a man of God, and that's why he has this special favor where he's able to interpret those dreams. And he's probably telling these people the prophecies about the coming Messiah that would happen eventually. Doesn't know when. And I believe plants that seed in those people's minds that the Magi are saying, one day there will be a star. One day we will go and see the king of the Jews. That's what these prophecies are lining up to tell us. And those Magi back in Babylonia, those were basically students of the stars. Those were astronomers, people who studied the stars, who turned into astrologers. Now, I learned that there was a difference in those terms this week because astrologers, they actually give meaning to those stars to try to correlate events that happen. So they study the stars, but then they try to predict events or what's going on. So you can understand why these magi show up and say what they say in verses one and two. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, these are the magi, the students of the stars, from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who is born king of the Jews? A very specific question. Very specific question. This is why I think there is a seed planted by Daniel hundreds of years prior. For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. And so these wise men, these student of, students of the stars, see this star, probably make some correlations to those things Daniel had talked about hundreds of years prior, and now they're coming to look. Now, there are many naturalistic Uh, opinions about what this star was, whether it was a comet or a supernova or alignment of planets or, or whatnot. And all of those things could be true. Cody's opinion is this is not a natural star. This is something that is supernatural going on in the heavens because of the way that you see it. The star is mentioned four times throughout this passage, and it's it's leading these people very directly to Jesus in a way that I don't think a natural comet or a supernova could actually do as you read these scriptures. But this star is leading them. What I think that it actually is, is the Shekinah glory of God. If you look back in the Old Testament, that's the Shekinah glory that led the Israelites through the desert. Pillar of fire by night, pillar of cloud during day was leading them very specifically. That's what I think we're seeing here. And again, remember the correlations between the Old Testament and what Jesus is telling here, or what uh, Matthew is telling us here in the New Testament. I've digressed, I'm going way too far into it, sorry. It's just too fun for me. 
let's just bottom line it here. These magi, wise men from the east, are traveling a long way, right? We're not talking about days of journey. We're talking about months of a journey. This, this is, they, they can't just turn on the out of office reply. This is, they need to resign their job. Like, we don't know when we're coming back. This is a long journey across the Arabian desert. We don't even know if we will make it back. So they have to align their lives. It wouldn't just have been a couple of men or a few men that would have gone on. They would have an entourage. They would have had to save up for this journey. They have to get all their supplies together. They have to say goodbye to their family. They have to do all the, the things that, that you do when you leave for an extended period of time. Plus, because they're gonna be gone for months, they had to align their lives in order to go and worship the king, which I think is a great lesson for us, is first, seek the savior and don't get sidetracked by distractions. Kind of ironic, because I chased a few rabbit trails there a couple minutes ago. Sorry, I apologize. But seek the savior and don't get sidetracked by distractions. I can only imagine the, the, the distractions that they could have been sidetracked by on their way to worship the king. It would have been a very arduous journey. But they could have very easily made plenty of excuses of, you know what, let's turn around. It's hot. I mean, where are we gonna get food? Where are we gonna get water? Are we sure that we really saw what we saw? I'm sure those conversations happened because this was a long journey. And that's why I said they had to align their lives. Everything had to be pointed. Everything had to have the trajectory toward finding this savior, the king of the Jews. I think that's a great lesson for us is uh, not getting sidetracked. There are so many distractions that take away from us worshiping Jesus today, especially during Christmas time. I just, all, all the gifts, the get-togethers, the Christmas crunch, the end-of-year reports that you have to put together, the family coming in town, you going out of town, getting the tickets for this, making sure you have enough food for that, navigating lines at Costco, uh, I, I mean, all of it. It's awful. So many distractions that we go, what was Christmas about? What, 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 what is this? And sometimes those distractions are natural, they're real, and you have to persevere through them and say, we, I am going to worship this Savior. I have to give my wife props real fast um, because she navigated some distractions to make sure our family worshiped the Savior last Sunday. Uh, they were running in uh, to worship. Uh, they were coming to the nine o'clock service and I leave before they get up in the morning. So she's bringing the boys and they come down the aisle and then I'm sitting at the front of the sanctuary and they come down the front aisle and they're single file. And I, I look down at them, my wife is in front, our older son Dax is right behind her and then our younger son Hayes is at the very end but Hayes is walking in like this. And I look at him a little bit closer and I realize he only has on one shoe. And I look at Jen and I said, does he only have on one shoe? And she said, don't ask. <laughs> and you know what? I go, 
Thanks for getting here. Praise God, you persevered. You know, she wasn't sidetracked by the distractions. Here's the ironic thing. Didn't bother our son Hayes at all. All day long, didn't care. He was just the one she wondered, wandering around children's ministry. In fact, some of the Sunday school teachers said, do we pay you enough at Crusha? Like, I was like, pass the plate again, pass it. But not sidetracked by distractions. We're, this is what we came to do. Don't let those distractions sidetrack you. And let me give you some, just some very practical advice that I found helpful for me, okay? To, to focus on uh, worshiping the Savior. Turn off your device. You say, hold on, Cody, what if somebody's gonna contact me? Hold on, what did the, who, how were the Magi being contacted for that period of time? I mean, it would have had to have been a homing pigeon that would eventually get to them or something. You know what? God is in control if you turn on your, off your device for 10 minutes, right? We believe that. We sing about it. We say it. Do you believe it enough to turn your device off for a few minutes and say, Jesus, I am all yours right now. Turn off your device. Turn on some worship music. Just, just turn on something that helps focus you on him. Open your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, Jen and I will buy you a Bible. You need to hear from God yourself. And he speaks through his word, which we'll talk about in just a moment. So open your Bible and shut your door. Shut the door. It, 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 you can meet with him yourself. Shut out the distractions. It's very simple. Turn off your device. Turn on some worship music. Shut your door and open your Bible. Tony, those four things will do wonders for your worship so that you don't get sidetracked by distractions. Next, the Magi's quest to worship the king of the Jews was confirmed by God's word. These are the tracking numbers that we had talked about, those prophecies that were given last week, Isaiah 7, 14. This one comes from Micah chapter five, verse two. Look at verses four and six. It says that after Herod heard this, which I'm gonna talk more about Herod on Christmas Eve, okay? But for right now, verses four and six. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he, Herod, inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it was written by a prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And so these magi coming all the way from the east, they come to, who are they looking for? Remember, who, they're looking for the king of the Jews. So it's very natural that where do they go? Jerusalem. That, that makes sense. You go to the capital city. That's where the king is. And it's ironic that they ask Herod, who calls himself the king of the Jews, where's the king of the Jews? I'm sure his ego was bruised by that question. And they ask him, where is the king of the Jews? He doesn't have any clue, so he assembles all the chief priests, the, prof, uh, the, the scribes, the Pharisees, Sadducees, that's who all would have been included, who would have studied the word of God. And they go, well, of course, he's in Bethlehem. Don't you know that? I mean, the prophet says that that's where he will be born, and they tell it to him like it's an obvious, duh, answer. 
And now, what's interesting about Bethlehem is twofold. First, it points to Jesus' royal lineage because Bethlehem is the city of David, King David. That's where David was born and raised. And it would have, it would have been seen as coming from royal lineage, coming from the city of Bethlehem. But the other significant thing is, is that it was insignificant. Bethlehem is about five miles five miles southwest of Jerusalem. It's, it, it's very insignificant. Even today, if you haven't been to Israel, you need to go to Israel. You need to go and see this stuff for yourself. You go there and you're like, this is where Jesus was born? I mean, there's, there's nothing here. A very insignificant place. That's why the Magi go to Jerusalem first because there's the palace. There's the temple. Here's all the hoopla. And he says, no, he's born in the country out, out where there isn't any hoopla in the manger in this, this really kind of nobody place is where this somebody was born. And he said, they said, this is where you should go. And Bethlehem, just as an aside, if you don't know this, means house of bread. Bet meaning house, Bethlehem bread. So the bread of life is born in the house of of bread. Jesus calls himself that. And so they, they say, of course, he's born in Bethlehem. And so Herod tells these wise men where to go, and they go to Bethlehem to worship the Savior. But I find this so ironic. Guess who doesn't go? The, Herod, the scribes, the Pharisees, the one who told him the answer. They don't go. Now, I, I, I want you to look back at these maps. Look at the distance that the wise men traveled, the Magi. Now, look back at the distance that the scribes and Pharisees, all, they're that far away. And they don't go and worship the true king of the Jews, the one that they hoped for, the one that they heard about, the one that they've read about, the one that they've prayed for, the one that they've looked to, the one who will be the shepherd of God's people. It's a great lesson for us to know that we must obey God's word, which will lead to abundant life. Obey God's word, which will lead you to abundant life. You see, it's one thing to know the answer, and it's another thing to follow through. They knew the answer. They knew he was in Bethlehem, but they wouldn't go five miles to go find him. I mean, that's, that's, that's a short day trip, walking-wise. They could have gone down there and seen him. You see, God's word confirmed this is where he is, but would they follow through? No. Great lesson to us of how often, when God speaks to us through his word. That's how he speaks to us. And so often, I, I, I don't, I know many of us, and I, I'm guilty of this, many of us know the right answer. But what's worshipful is not knowing God's answer, it's obeying God's word. That's what shows that we trust him. That's what shows that we believe him is when we follow through. You see, sometimes in our Christian life, what I think we're waiting for is a star. 
We want this Shekinah glory, bright light from heaven to show us God's way, God's answer in all of our lives. And we look for these supernatural things and we try to make these supernatural connections through, you know, well, I I saw this number over here and that means that I'm supposed to go do that over there. And we, we, the correlations that we make are sometimes just crazy. And, and sometimes looking for those supernatural things takes us off into the weeds, into crazy directions, because God gives us his word. You see, I don't want to bet my life on the Marfa lights, and I don't want you to either, going, did I see something? God, did you say something? Well, I, I don't know. Look like something over there. I don't, should we, should. this is what he wants you to do <laughs> right here. He gives you every, every step. It's right here in his word. And when we obey his word, that's worshipful to him. He confirms, this is, the, this is where you're gonna find abundant life is by coming to him. Will you come to him? He's right here. He's speaking to you through his word. Will you follow through? It's not just knowing the right answer. It's what you do with the answer that leads to abundant life. And then finally, the Magi worship the true king of the Jews by personally giving him gifts. The Magi worship the true king of the Jews by personally giving him gifts. These are things that are probably familiar to, to you, but I want you to see these things in a new light because I feel like I have as, as well. So let's look at verses nine through 11. It says, and after listening to the king, after hearing, this is, he's in Bethlehem, They went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. This is why I don't think it was a naturalistic kind of comet or something like that. Verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child, that's Jesus, with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So they hear about this, they follow through, they go to obey, and they go to worship. This is why they set off in the very first place. Now they actually know where he is, and they go to worship this child. Now we don't know how old this child was, Jesus, at this time. He's older than three months because Mary would have been in a purification process after giving birth for 40 days. So she's outside of that because she's with the child and he's younger than two years old because of what we're gonna read later on and we'll study in the new year. So we know he's between three months old and two years old. And I know that's for some of you that just totally ruins the nativity scene that you have set up in your house. Uh, And I'm sorry, I apologize. But he's somewhere there. He's not in, in the manger, right? He's in a house. They, they've moved out of the manger. So th- that's why I'm saying this journey took those wise men a while to get there. This was, that's why they aligned their lives. And so they get there and they give him these gifts. Now the gifts that are recorded are gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now those are very symbolic gifts 
Cody's opinion, I don't think those were the only gifts given to Jesus at that time. I think those are the ones that are recorded because they are symbolic. Gold, because of his kingship. Frankincense, because of his deity, offering, as, as, as we know, his prayers go up, and that's what frankincense represents, so his deity, and then myrrh, his burial, or the passion, as some people call it. I think those were the three symbolic gifts given to him, but I think they offered him a, a bunch of different things and probably left a bunch of things with him, which, can you imagine if you were the little drummer boy there? You're like, dude, I thought there was a $20 limit here, man. You know, like, he'd have been like Michael Scott, you know, like the Michael Scott brings the iPod to the office party. Any of you ever seen that? Anyway. <clears throat> but I don't want this to be lost on you. These folks give Jesus these very expensive gifts, these very precious things to them. And what does Jesus do for them? In this passage, what does Jesus do for them? Nothing. It's a trick question. That one actually was. Nothing. He is inherently worthy of our worship because of who he is. And so often, Cody's guilty so often, I, I, when I feel like I'm in a really good mood because God has blessed me or God's doing something great, then I'm like, I wanna, I wanna turn on some worship music. You know, I wanna jam. I, 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 now, yeah, I'll go read my Bible. I'll, I'll go journal. Now, and this passage convicts me going, is it just about what he's done for me? Or is it just about who he is? You see, sometimes we want to be moved to obey rather than obeying and then being moved. And sometimes we obey because he, it's, he's worthy of our, it's just who he is. He's worthy of our worship. He is Emmanuel, he's God with us and that's worthy of our worship. And so what I take away from me is worship the king by opening yourself up to give him what is most precious to you. You know, as I read this and I, I just kept going over it, and I forgot this little phrase that's in here when we start talking about the gifts that were given to Jesus. If you go back and look at, look at verse 11, and at the very end of it, it says they fell down and they worshiped him, but there's this little phrase that says, then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and the picture that I have in my mind is they open up the treasure chest, and they're like, it's all yours. Like, what do you want? T take your pick. You're, you're worthy of it. We open our treasure to you. We don't say, well, he, here's, a, here's five bucks, man. <laughs> like, I got, I got more back here, but I gotta make it home, Jesus. You know, I, I, gotta, I gotta have some gas money. So here's about all I can spare for you. The picture here is that they opened everything up. You, you're, you can have whatever you want. And it reminds me of, is my life open for Jesus to take whatever he wants? I, so often I say, this is what's precious to me and I'll hold on to this, God. And I know what's precious to you. Your time is very precious to you. The, the people in your lives, 
your, your kids, your parents, your finances, all those things are very precious to you, but isn't he worth it all? As, as king, not only of the Jews, but king of the universe, doesn't he have all authority to take whatever he wants? Because everything we have, he's given to us. And it's this open-handed idea of do you open yourself up and say you can have whatever. You know, Romans 12, 1 says, I appeal to you, this is Paul, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. See, he wants your life. But I appeal to you that based on his mercy, that he became Emmanuel, God with us. And why does he want your life? Because he paid for it. He gave it to you. Maybe you've already placed your trust in Jesus Christ. What are you holding on to that is precious? That you say, this is mine, God. I'll go to Christmas Eve. I'll get in a small group. I'll even pass out some treats to my neighbors. Awesome. Love that you do it. I sincerely mean that. But is there something you're holding back in the treasure chest that you go, this is too precious to give to God? Because he's going to do what with it? What is he going to do with it? You know, he might take it away. He might. He might give you something different. He might. But isn't he good? I mean, if we, if we trust him with our eternity, if we trust him with our life, why can't we trust him with everything else? This Christmas, I hope that we would all, myself included, would we really do some good work, some deep worship, searching our own hearts and opening up the treasure chest and going, Jesus, you can have whatever you want. That's gonna take some intentionality. That's gonna take some obedience that's gonna take some deep soul searching, but I'm telling you, what you're gonna find is the one you've been looking for all your life. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for these lessons that we can learn from the Magi. And Lord, I'm reminded of even the great distance they traveled to find you. That Lord, you don't ask us to travel. You came to us. And you even say in your words, seek the Lord while he is near. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Lord, you're right there. You're calling for us. You want us to be yours. You want us to come to you. You want us to fellowship with you. You want us to know you, the bread of life. Not holding on to those things that will, will where moth or rust will destroy, but giving it all to you. And so, Lord, I, I pray that our worship this Christmas would be with open hearts, with open minds, praising you because of who you are, not just what you've done. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.